You're listening to Pastor Mike Greiner of Harvest Community Church in Catanning, Pennsylvania. We pray that you will be challenged today as you listen to a sermon entitled, Don't Look Back, Strain Forward, based on Philippians 3, 7-17, recorded on Sunday, April 15, 2018. For more information, check us out on the web at harvestpa.org. Let's join Pastor Mike as he preaches. Well, hello everybody. It is so good to be here at Harvest Community Church, worshiping Jesus together. If you're a first-time guest, welcome to Harvest, whether you're right here where I'm standing in Catanning, or whether if you're in the Petrolia Valley, or Freeport, or Indiana, or even, sadly, you're in jail. We're happy to be here visiting um, with you. Last week, I wanted to be here so bad. I was so looking forward to last weekend. If you're a visitor, um, you'll say, why? Well, we had a, a special guest that I really love, George Murray who is going to speak on Friday and on Sunday services, and I, and I missed him. But you guys all heard him, and he was awesome, right? Amen. We love George here. Um, and then there was the, the, the ladies' retreat, which I got, was going to get to speak on on Sunday morning, and I couldn't do that either. Because on Friday afternoon, I got blasted by a sickness. And believing in the sovereignty of God the way I do, I have to believe he allowed that to happen so I would miss all the fun. But that's all right. I'm... Happy to be here this weekend. So please open your Bibles to Philippians chapter 3. Uh, We're going to go to Philippians chapter 3, or open your device, I should say, to Philippians chapter 3, verses 3 to 17 is where we're going. So you can get ready for that. I'll be there in a second. This this book of Philippians, and, and this passage in particular, is particularly intimate. In other words, Paul likes to speak of himself in here, um, in very personal ways. Paul is uh, perhaps one of the, the most important men in the history of mankind. Paul the Apostle has affected the whole world probably more than any man since Jesus, except for Jesus. Um, and, and, and he wrote 17 letters uh, of the New Testament. He planted many of the first churches, but uh, a lot of people don't know that at first he was a very important man among the Jews, a very learned young man who was on an astral projection for his career. He, he wanted to be a very important man among the Jews, and he was a priest. He was a Roman citizen. He hobnobbed with wealth. He was very well connected. And so when Jesus came and died and rose and his followers showed up, they actually presented a threat. And uh, Paul, um, realizing that they were a threat to his, to his faith, he thought, he persecuted the first church, one of the most Famous first martyrs we have is Stephen, and Paul orchestrated the killing of this man. Um, When you think about it, Paul the Apostle probably heard the gospel first from Stephen. We know he heard it, at least he heard it from Stephen. And and Stephen was filled with the Holy Spirit, he spoke out, and then of course he was killed, and Paul was the head of that. It wasn't long after that, though, that God personally interrupted him. Jesus showed up on the famous road to Damascus. And, um, and, and he rescued him. If you aren't real familiar with the Bible, maybe you've heard people say, I had a road to Damascus experience. Well, that means I had a complete turnaround on something. That comes from Paul. Because once he saw Jesus, Jesus said, Paul, why are you persecuting me? And he says, who are you? He says, I, I am Jesus whom you're persecuting. And from that point on, Paul made a switch. And with his new faith, something else changed. He was as zealous for Jesus as he had been against him. And this caused him to lose his wealth among the people he knew, his prestige, his connections. He was now part of the bad guys. Worse still, he was isolated because the Christians didn't trust him either. 
because he had been killing them. So Paul had to get busy on his own PR campaign, getting to know the church so they could trust him. And eventually they did. And after 12 years after being saved, he began his first missionary journey. If you're familiar with the Bible, you may get the impression he got saved. And the first thing he did was he went out and told the world about Christ. Not so. There was 12 years where he learned and grew in Christ before he went. And this is not necessarily part of the message, but it may be for someone in who can hear me now. You may be hoping to be in the ministry, and you just can't wait to get there. And you think that the, the world's on fire, and it needs you to put it out. And if you don't show up quick, you know, you, you, God's not going to be able to save who he wants to save. Just be at peace. If even Paul had to wait 12 years, you may have to wait a little longer. In any case, after that 12 years, um, he went on three missionary journeys. One was in, and now I'm going to slow down a bit because we're going to catch up right here. Some of you were following me all the way through that. Some of you are just tuning in. Ready? 49 AD. All right, that's about 15 years, a little more, after Christ died and was resurrected and ascended into heaven. Paul goes on his second missionary journey, and he has a vision. And in the vision, there's a man from Macedonia saying, Come help us, right? So Paul obeys that vision and takes his buddies and they go to the Macedonia area. He ends up in a place called Philippi. And and normally when Paul is planning a church, what he'll do in a new town is he will go to where the Jews are, right? Find the Jews, find the synagogue. If you're in the Pittsburgh area, you can go down to Squirrel Hill and Shadyside and you will see a lot of synagogues. And there will be a lot of Jews living nearby because they want to be able to, the more committed ones will want to be able to walk because they won't drive on that day to, to synagogue. They want to walk, so they go near there. So if Paul were coming to Pittsburgh, that's where he'd go first. It was always his strategy to go to the synagogue, show the Jews their Savior from the Bible, and then branch out from there. Well, there must not have been a synagogue in Philippi, or at least he couldn't find one. It takes 10 Jewish men to start one. Uh, Maybe there was one, but he actually ended up going down to the river where the ladies washed their clothes, and he started the church with ladies. And uh, one of the first people who listened to him was named Lydia. And she was a wealthy woman, and she took him back to her house, and he preached to her whole household, which could have had as many as 20 members in it, with workers and whatnot and their families. And the whole household came to believe in Jesus Christ, and a church of Philippi was born and began to grow right there. Now, um, without giving too much history of of the Philippian church, one really exciting event was Paul got arrested there, and he got arrested because there was this lady who had a demon who was being used by other people to tell fortunes, and she kept bothering Paul, and so he turned around and he said to the demon, come out of that lady, and then the people who who I guess used her as a human slave (laughs) to do their, to make their money found she wouldn't give the fortunes anymore, and they were angry at Paul, and they threw him and his buddy in jail. In the jail, an earthquake came, and the chains fell off, and they were free, and the doors opened. They were free to leave, but they didn't leave. But the jailer, it was night, thinking they left, wanted to kill himself. Because in those days, in that place, if the jailer let the people go, they would kill him, and he didn't want that. And then Paul cried out, hey, don't do anything to harm yourself. We're still here. And then they shared the gospel with this jailer. So even going to jail was an opportunity for Paul to preach 
And then when the other authorities came and they saw the doors were open and, and everyone was inside, Paul told them, by the way, I'm a Roman citizen. And they said, well, if you're a Roman citizen, we can't hold you without cause. And they let him go. And the jailer and his family all got saved and joined the church. In any case, I'm sure there's a hundred stories. There aren't in the Bible, a thousand. As the church in Philippi grew quickly and with great joy. Eventually, Paul would leave Philippi and go to work with other churches he'd already started or plant new ones in places like Thessalonica, Ephesus, Colossae, Corinth, Galatia. And as time went on, he was getting older. He wrote his famous letter to the Romans. And finally... We come up to the year 62 A.D. 62. That's when Paul writes this letter. 62 A.D. And it's about 30 years since Jesus was on the scene. It's about 26 or 27 since Paul was converted. It's about 12 years since he was in Philippi. And he's writing this letter. The Philippians had sent him a gift, and so he wrote him a letter. Thank you note. In the letter, he talks all about the life he used to have before Christ. He talks about his wealth. He talks about his prestige. He talks about the power he had. He talks about how important he was. But he also talks about his suffering as a Christian. And in our text, we're going to jump right into the middle of all that. In verse 7, chapter 3. Ready? Speaking of all that he had, he said, But whatever gain... I had, I counted as loss, past tense. (laughs) When I came to Christ, I counted what I had as loss for the sake of Christ. I don't need to be an important man. I have Christ. Indeed, I count everything, paper clips, gold, anything, everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. I have found the true treasure. Jesus said the kingdom of God is like a man who searches for treasure and he finds it. And then he buries it in a field and and spends all he has to buy the field. And you go, why is that what the kingdom of God is like? Because if you find Christ, he's like a treasure that you're, you're willing to sell all you have to keep. And that's what Paul is. He's an example of that parable come true. He says, I count all things. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things. He didn't just count them as loss. Hopefully you and I as American Christians count all things as loss, right? Hopefully we've counted the cost. Whatever you want, Jesus. Hopefully that's what we say, right? And I'm sure many of you here do say, Jesus, whatever you want, it's yours. But he didn't just count them as loss. He actually lost them. (laughs) It's, It's one thing to say, take it. And then it's another thing if he said, oh, he did take it, didn't he? (laughs) And and that's what happened. I suffer the loss, but I count them as, he calls it, rubbish. In order that I may gain Christ and be found in him. Not having a righteousness of my own, he's describing his treasure here. That comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ. The righteousness from God that depends on faith. That I may know him that I may know the power of his resurrection, that I may share in his sufferings, that becoming like him even in his death, that by any means possible I may attain, or if you see the balance here, become like him in the resurrection of the dead. 
He had lost all societal influence without question. Even among the Christians, he wasn't as impressive as he was when he was planning churches. He writes this letter. He's at the end of his rope. He's, well, not, he doesn't know it. He's in and out of prison in Rome, probably in prison when he writes this. He lost his health. He was beaten many times. He was once stoned himself. He fell over dead, or they thought he was dead. The people left him, and he got up and walked away. Now, we don't know if he really died and God raised him or what, but imagine getting up after being stoned with stones. <laughs> that word means a couple things to our society. He exchanged all. And now he's nearing the end of his life. He really had given all he had, including his health. One time, there's a letter in the Bible where he actually writes in the end of the letter, send so-and-so and have him bring my coat. What does that mean? He's in jail and he's cold. I mean, he really has gone from the top to nothing. Even among Christians, he's in poverty because of his stance for Jesus. He had lost, the only thing he didn't lose by the time he wrote this was his life. And that was coming. Within three years, he would have his head removed from his body, three to four years, by Nero. Now, was Paul feeling sorry for himself? I think I'd want to feel sorry for myself. I came to you, Jesus. I did everything you wanted. And look what happened. I get beat up. My health is gone. Christians sometimes abandon me. The church is without me because I'm in the jail. I've lost all my old friends and all my old power, and now I'm stuck as an old man in a jail, and I need a coat. But no, Paul has no self-pity. What he said, and I read to you, he said, I count what is lost as rubbish. And to go back to that word, one of the most fun words to learn about in a Greek class is the word rubbish, because it's fun to say in Greek. And, and you're welcome to say it out loud here, because you're going to want to say it once you hear it. Scubula. Now, I know you want to say it because it just sounds fun. It's like Scooby-Doo. Scubula. Get it out of your system if you have to say it. Go ahead. Scubula. Do you know what scubula means? It means dung. Manure. Scubula. Mommy, I have to go scubula. <laughs> Come on, honey. <laughs> we don't say that. That's actually a nicer way to say it than we say it. It can mean rotting meat. It's a word you'd use for both things. Uh, I found one ancient source, and this is a direct quote. Use this word to refer to persons and things that have a pitiful and horrible end like the remains of a corpse half eaten by fish. So he, think this through. He worked hard. He, he studied hard to get his position, and he got it. And he said, what do I count that as? Stuff that you, do you want that on your hand? Right? He, 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 his, his past success, his, his, his standing, his loss of health, his loss of wealth, his loss of freedom, roadkill. All those things, freedom was roadkill. It's rancid roadkill to me. In our maps, we can write this out. Paul counts all the good things of his life as trash. The good things, not the trash. 
worthy of losing for the sake of what he will gain. He apparently thinks he's in some kind of business transaction with God. I give this up and look what I get. What does he gain? He lists out three things. Four, really. Christ, the righteousness that comes by faith, the power to share in Jesus' sufferings, and the resurrection from the dead. Now, I know that a lot of you can identify with those things, but if you're newer to Jesus or newer to church, to be clear... We know that God loves the world. His goal is not to throw us in hell for our sins, but to rescue us. His plan, he came, became one of us. Jesus is God and man. He lived among us without sin. He went to a cross and paid for yours and mine. So we can be saved. The justification, Paul says, that comes by faith. You trust in him and that's it. Not by being good, but by trusting in Jesus. If you receive today Christ as your Savior, you will be saved. He will come and live in you and take away your sins. So I urge you to do that. Talk to him even now. Jesus saved Paul, and he realized this is my treasure. But it goes farther. You will see Paul is thoroughly convinced That true treasure is not to be found on this planet. Thoroughly convinced that it's something that is coming later. Paul, by 62 AD, if you think, he, he would think of all his good works as treasure and all his pain as being paid back by God. Now you might think, well, that's deluded. It isn't. This is good biblical theology. How much treasure had he already gained in heaven? Lots. (laughs) I mean, look at all the churches he'd planted. Look at the letters of the Bible he'd written. Paul lived every second, giving every ounce of energy and all that he had in this life for the next life. Paul gave all in this life as if he was buying something in the next life. Heard of a man who was helping inner city youth learn how to handle money. Taught them all a class and then gave them all like a hundred bucks. They all went out and bought shoes. Except one kid. He bought a stock in a shoe company. And when they all said, look at our shoes, what do you got? He said, I just made money on all of you. (laughs) You see, he realized... I could have that now, or I could have more later. And that's why Paul looked at his whole life. He trades loss in this world for treasure in the next. He, looked, he called the people who were saved his treasures. But he also talked about his beatings as being paid back. The, the, this This suffering I'm going through now, he'd say, is working for me a treasure. Now, is it true that if you suffer for the name of Christ, and if you suffer in faith, that you will be rewarded disproportionately in heaven for that suffering? Is that a biblical doctrine? Let's ask Jesus. Stay where you are in Philippians. Let me read to you for a second from Matthew, where Jesus said, Blessed are you when others revile you, Paul. 
Blessed are you when they persecute you. Blessed are you when they utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice, Paul. Be glad that you were shipwrecked and beaten and taken as a slave and thrown into jail. Be glad. Why? For your reward in heaven is great. And so they persecuted the prophets before you. As he writes this letter, he's in jail. Now, here's the question. The old man is getting older. We don't know how old he was, but 30 years older than he was when he started uh, his ministry. He's done enough. He's planted all the churches he's going to plant, as we know. He's written letters. He's not done. He's going to write a couple more. One, he wrote two to Timothy. Uh, We're going through one. We've been going through Timothy for years. That's how much we love Paul. What else can he do? Just relax, Paul. Your bones got to ache. Find a warm spot in the jail and go to sleep. Here's what he says. Let's go back to our text in Philippians. Verse 12 is where we left off. He said, not that I've already obtained this. I haven't already gotten the resurrection of the dead, have I? He said, I'm not already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. He, he somehow thinks that possession of himself is given to Christ, therefore his life is forfeited to Christ. And he says, brothers, I don't consider that I've made it my own. But one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind me, straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature think this way. (laughs) Let those of us who are Paul, Paul, Paul is amazing. There's no retiring from the mission. There's no stopping. Paul, you're 62. I've looked into the future. You lose your head in a few years. You're stuck in jail. You're not going to be free. You, what, are, what can you get done for God? He goes, I don't know, but I'm going to do it. Whatever I got, it's still forfeited to Christ. You know what? He reminds me of Brett Favre. (laughs) Yes, Brett Favre. Whether you like Brett Favre or don't like Brett Favre, you know that's a man who loves football more than you and more than anyone who ever played. How do you know? Because from the time he got his first start in 1992 until the 13th game of the 2010 season, He never missed a start, even when relatives died, even when his body was broken, even when he was on drugs, as we found out. Never missed a start. The only reason he came out of that game is he was so broken, he couldn't stand. It's like, I'm going to play football until you pry it out of my cold, dead fingers. That was Brett Favre. That's Paul about something much more important than a game. Paul has the same attitude, but Paul, you've done enough. Right back from Philippi, pastor says, get get, get a parchment, write this down. Paul, could you, you've done great, buddy. We're going to send you a a blanket, a pillow, 
even a teddy bear. Just chill, relax. Get a bumper sticker for your wagon that says spending my grandparents, my grandchildren's inheritance and see if you can work your way to the coast and hang out on the beach a couple years. You know, quit talking. Go to the beach and die there. Didn't you do enough? Paul's answer, is there still a heart beating in my chest? Yes. Then the work goes on. You might say, well, that commitment is unique. (laughs) That's what makes Paul, Paul. But he doesn't expect us to do that. What did I just read to you in verse 15? Take a look. Look back in your Bible. He said, let those of us who are mature think this way. If you're growing in Christ and haven't come to here, you're still a little juvenile. And if any, in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that to you. This is a preacher with a lot of confidence in the Holy Spirit. I need to preach like that. I have told you the truth from the scripture. If you think otherwise, God will show you. And that's what he did. That's what he said. Only hold to what? Hold, let, only let us hold true to what we've attained. Brothers, join in imitating me. You be like me. Keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. If you see other men who act like me, act like them. My friends, what Paul is calling you and I to today at Harvest Community Church is to never, ever be content with what we've done for Jesus until, until they pry the Bible out of our cold, dead fingers. We're not living to live the American... Our American dream is more Americans get saved. That's our American dream. If you, if you think your life is so you can shuffle off to Florida and play shuffleboard, only if you have a ministry to save the shuffleboarders of Florida. Otherwise, you're wasting your life. We work, we give all, as if the treasure's there, not here. Now, I chose this text because I think it's appropriate for the, what we're entering now. We're entering an initiative that we call Next. Next. Great name, right? Why next? I'm going to spend the next four weeks telling you. (laughs) This is week one. Hopefully we get started. But it's called next because it points us to what is ahead, not what's behind. 20 years ago, four families started this church with no facilities. And think about it. They started it in a small town, Catanning, that has lots of churches. It could have been argued, we really don't need another church. Why don't you join one we've already got? But God was at work. Since then, I'm not telling the whole story. I'm just not going to do it right now. I don't have time. The church began to grow in health and in width. Today, four campuses are listening to me talk and the people in the jail and some people probably in India are listening but you know this Easter was our we had more people here in, in, in our Easter services not counting Monday Thursday just Easter celebration we had at least 1,350 people 20 years that's got to work is it not? 
That's something to feel good about, is it not? That's something to praise God for. There's a lot to look back and praise God for. But is it time to look back for more than half a second? That's my question. Is it a good time to stop and rest? You could say, ah, look at all we've done. Kids ministries all over the place. Jail ministries, marriage ministries, worship ministries, recovery ministries. We got the sermon online. We got the sermon on podcast. We got the sermon on CD. We got missionaries. We have foreign students visiting us and hearing the gospel. We're sending out mission, short-term mission teams. So many have heard. So many have believed. Let's just keep busy with what we have. No need to keep expanding, Right? Is there anything left in the tank? What are you saving it for? Where will we be in 10 years? And here's a question I ask. Having seen the history of churches for the last 2,000 years and in America, and sadly, the truth is, many churches die. It, 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 many don't. Some don't. Many do. 60, 70, 80 years. Sometimes they will go on for 30 years after they're dead. And I mean that. There's nothing keeping the people together but the, but the building. They start well. They're energetic for Jesus. And God blesses what they do. And then when they gain something, they stop moving forward because they realize to, to, to get more ground for Christ, to reach more people for Christ, and we're already reaching... It's going to require taking risks we haven't had to take for 20 years. And this, we want to write this in our maps if you're taking notes. I'm calling us to change. Risk and commitment. I'm calling us to be like Paul by, quote, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. I'm calling us to press on toward the goal of the prize of the upward call of Christ. This next initiative is designed to urge us all, to encourage you and me to come together as a people, as a church, and say to God, we're not content with the ground you've already given us. We give you thanks. We give you praise. We know it's to your glory But we don't want history to show that this is where we stopped and just maintained ground. We want to take the next step in faith, no matter what the cost, to grow the health and size of your church, God, here and anywhere in the world. Forgetting what lies behind. We're hitting a new area. This is a, this is a new season. Yesterday is gone, and it's time to step forward. (laughs) How will we step forward? I'm going to try to list that out more and more over four weeks, but we will be led by the same mission that has guided us the last several years. And let me read it to you from the text, from our, not the Bible text. This is our mission as stated, as written. We will expand, plant, and grow elder-led campuses in Pennsylvania while investing in world missions in order to increase the number of believers that have access to a healthy church, right? 
It's our mission's Pennsylvania. You're going to say, well, what about Ohio? If God gives us that ground, we'll take that ground. Right now, Pennsylvania. We have four campuses. Access to a healthy church is the key. Because access to a healthy church changes people's lives. Right? How many of you are excited that you have this church? I know a lot of you are. I see people move out of town and say, I can't find a church. Yes, you can. Well, I want it to be as healthy as the one I left. I do too. Keep looking till you find it. We had, um, years ago, I don't know how many, uh, a new couple came in with their little tiny daughter named Scott and Jess. They've been in a very unhealthy church. They're Christians, but they were not growing at all. When they came to this church, Scott would tell you he found three things that changed his life. One, the word of God was preached. And this is not, by the way, me saying the preacher was awesome. My wife says the preacher's awesome, but she has to, she's married to me. No matter which person stands here and delivers the word, it's our desire that that person will preach the gospel of Jesus Christ, will preach the Bible honestly, or die. That's the goal. He heard the word preached, and it was, he said it was like drinking from a fountain on a thirsty soul. He heard music that reinforced the words he was hearing, music he understood. And he personally said he met men of God. Now, his wife would say she met women of God. The point is, they met community. And they grew in Christ. And they grew in Christ. And the people of Harvest in Catanning and the people of Harvest at the Petrolia Valley invested in that man when we saw God had called him to start a campus in Indiana. And now it's there. And here's, here's something. I'm pretty sure it was Kendall I heard say this. If you don't know her, don't worry. She knows who she is. When she was a child, her parents would take her to church. I don't know if she liked it or not. But she would hear on the radio a guy named Bert. That was our first pastor from a place called Harvest. And she remembered the name. And she liked the guy. She was the kid in the back seat. So now she has her own little family. She's a young woman. She has her husband. And they've started having babies. And she's, her and her husband are like, we got to find a church. But we live in Indiana. She looks up. Harvest. And she says, that's the one on the radio. She happens to be right. And now she's plugged in. Her whole family's planted there. And they're growing in Christ. Why? Because God let us put it there. We want to continue to see God work in areas where we're not yet. And we want to grow in the areas we are. There are barriers to us, to our growth. One, number of workers. Two, Facility challenges, and three, the current level of generosity. Some of you are saying, I was wondering when he was going to get to that. We've maxed out what we can do and what we can have. I want more campuses now. Talk to our executive pastor. He says, I don't think we could do it. I don't think we could do it. I don't think our, our administrative staff could do it. I don't think we're ready. I don't. We're using everything we've got to do everything we do. 
and reach more unreached people groups. If you don't know what an unreached people group is, that means there are people in this world who have no church at all, not even bad churches, to which they can go and hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. Unreached. And this church sent three families. (laughs) Three families. And of those three families, of the adults, one, two, three, four, Five of the six adults were born and raised right here in western Pennsylvania. The sixth one is from some place called South Dakota, but he moved here and we like him. (laughs) There's no way around it. If we're going to keep what we have and expand our facilities, upgrade our technology, whatever the needs are, and there are many, If we're going to hire more people to help work and if we are going to reach more of the world, we need to grow in giving as a church. And that's the goal of this next initiative is to use the next two years to increase the generosity of Harvest. We project that over the next two years, Harvest will get tithes of $2.4 million. How do we know that? Because last year you generously tithed $1.2 million. You might say, well, then you're rolling in bucks. We're not rolling in bucks. We take the philosophy that if you, as a church, have a great big savings account and die, everyone's gone, Satan used that money for a bank. But if we employ it in ministry, we got 150000 in a savings account. And it's really not a savings. It's to be used in emergencies. So over the next two years, we'll take in 2.4 if things stay average. And this is in our map to make sure we get it right so when you're in your community groups, when you discuss it, you want to remember what I said. You'll get it right. Our next initiative does is challenge us to raise that number to $4 million in the next two years. By the way, if you're new to the church and you think all churches talk about is money, you just happen to come on a lucky Sunday. And if you say, well, I don't want to give any money, that's fine. We're happy to have you. Uh, um, Keep coming. Drink our coffee. We won't charge. This money will be used to further the mission you are familiar with. I probably should have said with which you are familiar. I just caught that. If there's any English teachers in here, I'm sorry. To see more campuses planted. To call, in other words, without increased funds, we do not see how we're going to plant more campuses. To call more men and women to work at Harvest to bring about growth. To update our technologies, which need it, and maximize our facilities, which need it, all of them, (laughs) to a certain extent. And to reach out to more of the world of the gospel. Um, I'm looking at my time. I, I want to tell you my story. For months, I know, I've, we've been planning this. And so here I am, lead pastor, and I go home and talk to my wife. And I said, we need to find a way to get ourselves over the hump. We're hitting a wall. We're growing, but we can't grow anymore. We don't have any more seats. We don't have any more parking lots. Our kids are all maxing out what we can use. Um, we have more families who want to go reach the unreached. We, we're maxed out. We're going to do this initiative. What's that mean to us? 
She wants to know, well, it means money from you and me, my wife and I. And as we begin to look at it, we looked at what we gave. We, we're one-tenthers. That's called tithing, if you don't know what that means. Tithing isn't just putting money in the plate. Tithing is one-tenth of, of, your, of your increase. So we started to talk a number. And at first, we, we came up with a number which would be about another 4%. It didn't take more than a week before we were up to 20%. And that's where we settled. We're going to, over the next two years, tithe twice every week. And the reason I'm saying that is I want you to know I'm in it. (laughs) If you're in it or not, I'm in it. Because I want, I want, like Paul, to get to the end of everything. I look at how much much I spend on Starbucks (laughs) and think... Wonder if there's going to be treasure in heaven for that. <laughs> so we're in for 20%. And you know what? We're not hanging our heads. Once we made the decision, we got excited. Couldn't wait for this initiative to start so we could put in our pledge. Why? Because of people like Isaac John. I just got an email from Isaac. I can't, well, I'm online worldwide, so I got to be careful what I say now because I put a name on it. Well, I got an email from a guy named Isaac, and he said that when his parents brought him to this church as a child, it changed his life. I don't know what his first church experience was. He was a little dude. I'm sure it wasn't bad. Most churches don't pick on little, well, I shouldn't say that. I'm sorry to even think that thought, but he really understood the gospel as he grew up as a kid here. He learned to love Jesus here. He met his wife here, who was raised in the same church. And the two of them decided they wanted to reach an unreached people group, so they went somewhere in the world, and they're doing that today. Planting a church for people who have no church, so that people of another country in another language, can come in, hear the same gospel, and they can say where they live, I love my church, I love my God. He was able to do it because I tithe. It's not just money. God has to do it. But there's no way of doing ministry without it costing you. And because you tithe, some of you, some of you, that's how they're there. Why am I excited about doubling my tithe? Maybe send more. (laughs) There are other kids growing up here. Let's send them around the world. (laughs) Your kid bugging you? Let me have them. I'll train them in Christ and get them out of here. Well, my time is up. There's a timer. That's how I know I'm actually at negative one minute and one second. So here's how I'm going to end. On your way out of every campus today, you're going to get two things. If you already have this, because some of you have gotten this already, you don't need to take one. If you do not have this a magazine, brochure, whatever, well, that's the back. It's filled with more on this next initiative to explain more and lots of pictures of you. There's my son-in-law right there. There's my daughter, my wife. 
Lots of people I know are in there. Take it and read it. Also, you'll find in there, uh, someone will hand you if, you, if you have that, it doesn't mean you have this. This is what you want to get. This is the card. This is the card that has a generosity ladder. You can read it and find yourself more on that next week, or perhaps your campus pastor will talk to you about it. Here is, I've already filled mine out. It's in my car, where you put your faith commitment. Now, now I want to tell you something, because some people are worried about this. Whatever numbers you write on here are not going to be shown to the world or published. And they're also, no one is going to come to your house, knock on your door, send you a reminder that you didn't give it. Because we don't want anybody to give a cent who's not excited about it. But we do want to know how we're doing to reach our mark, and we do want to be encouraged by going together. So we ask you to turn it in, and we'll tell you how, how we're doing. Think about that. On May the 6th, it's what we're going to call something called Commitment Sunday. We turn them all in if they haven't been turned in already. And then the following week, we'll find out what we did. Okay? With me? Everyone understand that? Yes? Okay. Here's what's going to happen next. I'm going to say a prayer. And then a video is going to come on at all the campuses because technology never has glitches. That was a joke. <laughs> It's funny, uh, here in the Catanian campus, we have a techies kid right up front, and he laughed right away. He knows. Technology has glitches. Um, But there'll be a video which explains a little more, and then at every campus, you'll hear your campus pastor, and he's going to be your touch point for more information. If you need to know more, ambush him. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Harvest Community Church. We invite you to join us at any one of our four campuses located in Catanian, Petrolia Valley, Indiana, and Freeport. For more information, check us out on the web at harvestpa.org.